first. All right, here we go. Ready, hit it. We do a few standard roll maneuvers and hard turns. From soaring with the Blue Angels to finding his footing reporting on once forbidden soil. I'm John Stair in Havana, Cuba. To adding perspective on what it took to get a major project off the ground in Indiana's largest city. Think about it. NASA's manned space program went from startup to lunar landing in less time than it took to build a mall in downtown Indianapolis. A small sampling of John Stair's body of journalistic work during his nearly 25 years on the air in central Indiana. He may have retired from the anchor desk, but he's still firmly in the spotlight. I'm John Stair, and I'm running for mayor of Zionsville. Former local TV news anchor John Stair, his journey from the bright lights of television to a new career in government. Meet the mayor-elect of Zionsville, Indiana, my guest this week on the Business and Beyond podcast. I spent decades fairly and honestly delivering the news, and I'll do the same as your mayor, because you deserve someone who will give it to you straight. I'm John Stair, I'm running for mayor, and I'm asking for your vote. Pennsylvania-born, Indiana-bred John Stair. He got those votes. He's now preparing to take over as mayor of Zionsville in Boone County. He grew up in Pittsburgh, got a start in TV broadcasting while attending Gannon University in Erie. Stair eventually hit the big time network correspondent for CBS News before arriving in central Indiana in 1995 as the main anchor for NBC affiliate WTHR. After spending 23 years there, John retired, but public service still in his blood. And I'm pleased to be joined on the podcast this week by Hall of Fame broadcaster and now mayor-elect John Stair. John, uh, how are you? Thanks for joining me. I'm doing great, Gary. Thank you for asking. It's always good to see you. Yeah, you bet. Um, okay, I've got to ask you, first question, 42 years in the TV business, uh, uh, lots of honors and accolades and uh, great success. You retire, and then and then you get in into politics. So you're kind of you know jumping from the you know kind of the the frying pan into the fire, so to speak. What prompted the the move to politics? Well, you know, after I retired, I really thought, what can I do to, to help my town, to be involved in my town? I've lived in Zionsville for nearly 30 years, and, and it means a lot to me. My family grew up here, so I want to see Zionsville do well. So I joined the Parks Board uh, right after I retired. And, um, you know, I joke that, that when you can stand in the mud at 10 o'clock on a Tuesday morning and talk to a contractor, they make you an officer pretty fast. So <laughs> it wasn't long before I was the vice president, and then shortly after that, I became the president. So... Um, it's been it's been great to be part of the process, and I think from my view uh, from the parks board, I could see inside the way our town government was working, and I thought there was some dysfunction there, mm -hmm. and I think a lot of that can be cleared up and remediated by good communication. And then I thought, well, geez, that's sort of my background. So hopefully, through good communication and through building some relationships and building some bridges, we can make a difference and you know put Zionsville in a little better direction. Yeah, you know, I want to ask you about some some of your goals in in a minute, but that 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 desire for public service, uh, I think, is unique in people. You know, you want to run a, a parks board, a school board, um, uh, you know, to get actively engaged. 
Uh, it's not an easy thing to do. I mean, it, you know, you put yourself out there. There's time. There's effort. There's criticism. All those things that come into play. Is that is that public service uh, kind of vibe? Has that been part part of uh, of you over the years, or did, is it just something that just uh, just came up with this itch to get into politics? Well, I, I think so. And you know as well as I do that the broadcasting business has changed quite a bit in the yep. last 40 years. And I think when I started out and, and maybe when you started out, I mean, that was the goal was to be a public service and the free flow of information and, and having people be informed about what's going on around them. That was my motivation. Uh, the broadcasting industry has evolved to the point where profits are a lot more important. And, you know, that is much more of an aspect of it as it used to be. So um, I, I think even though I retired a little bit early from broadcasting, I think the timing was good for me. And this is a natural extension of that desire to, to be of some service to the community and do things that are going to help uh, doing things that are going to help the community as a whole. Yeah. Uh, so in that sense, I don't see all that much different. You talk about putting yourself out there. I mean, you know, you put yourself out there every day and I put myself out there every day for 40 years. And yeah, I know what that's like. And not yeah. everybody's going to appreciate everything you do. And you know, in human nature, more people are likely to criticize than they are to compliment. So yeah. I, I, I've taken some of that over the years. So that doesn't uh, doesn't make me curl up in a ball in a fetal position and cry. I, I get it. I get it. There's going to be those folks out there. That's good stuff. Well, you, uh, we are actually taping this uh, just a few days uh, before the municipal elections uh, here in Indiana. You won your primary. You're unopposed. So you are uh, the mayor elect uh, in Zionsville, and you've been busy, as I understand it. Uh, really, uh, since winning in the primary and meeting almost on a daily basis with uh, with leadership there in uh, not only in Zionsville, but but in the region there and meeting with other mayors. Talk talk about that process and what you've uh, what you've gleaned, what you've learned in in some of these meetings. I, I think it's been a real blessing to not have to be involved in an election process again. I've started my transition process early, and I, I've brought together a great group of folks that are going to go in and take a look at all of our town departments and how things operate and our boards and commissions. And you know, they're going to come back with a transition report uh, in the middle of November, and then we're going to meet with them and you know work through that and work through that with the department heads. So I think that's been a real blessing. As far as reaching out to other mayors in the area, I think that's something that Zionsville hasn't done a great job with over the years, being you know more collaborative with our neighbors, not just in Boone County, but in Hamilton County, too. Because I think, you know, while we do compete against one another for economic development and that sort of thing, in a larger sense, we're competing against Nashville. We're competing against Cincinnati. We're competing against Columbus. You know, so we have to have a, uh, a broader picture of what it is that we're doing in the world if we're going to continue to remain successful here in central Indiana. Yeah, and I think John, I think to that point, uh, y your mindset there and that whole regionalism uh, uh, concept is something that I know the state and others have really been trying to get cities and towns and counties to to buy into for a number of years. Yeah. It's beginning to happen, but but probably not not fast enough. As you look at opportunities, because I think you feel as though. Zionsville perhaps has missed out on some economic development opportunities. Maybe those will be, uh, you know, present themselves in the future. If you look at, as you talk about Fishers with, with what's going on there with Mayor Mayor Fadness and 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 Westfield and Noblesville, all those places you've talked about, but just up the road in Lebanon, not far, with the Leap Innovation District, which is this, you know, this massive uh, uh, district, major Eli Lilly. And company campus going in there. Others will go in there as well. What 
what are some of the opportunities, growth opportunities that might exist for Zionsville? I think that is a tremendous growth, tremendous growth opportunity for generations to come. It's not just the businesses going into the LEAP district, but there's going to be a spinoff, right? Six to eight times for PR companies, accountants, uh, dry cleaners, restaurants, uh, so many things that are going to serve the LEAP district and residential. You know, there are people are going to want to live close to where they work. So I think that, that for Zionsville, there are tremendous opportunities there, but we need to build the foundation for it now. I know that if you look at the footprint of, of the LEAP district, it touches Montgomery County too. So I know the wow. folks over there in Crawfordsville are thinking about this and they're thinking about opportunities that it could present for them. So we need to be on top of it. We can't just assume that it's going to come here because we're close. I think we need to prepare ourselves and, and you know, it starts in Zionsville with a new comprehensive plan. We haven't done comprehensive planning here for 20 years. So we need to get a handle on that. Zoning will come in underneath it. A transportation plan will come in underneath it. And I think that will start a path for us uh, to have a strong voice in how Zionsville develops in the coming years. You mentioned that comprehensive plan. I think the early 2000s, 2003 was the last time that was done. Uh, that is correct. I, I, yeah. yeah. Well, you're it, you're good. You're you have good research. You are on top of yeah, 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 class. yeah. Executive producer <laughs> uh, Teresa Ditton, uh, she's in the shadows over there, but she gives me she gives me all these uh, all these good uh, good tidbits, which is important. But if if you look at 20 years uh, ago, the population in Zionsville was around 11,000. Now it's over 30,000. Yeah. So that's a big yeah. a big number. But as you talk about the Leap District and some of the other things going on there the prospect for additional growth is, is certainly there. How do you, because with growth comes, comes potentially great things, but also challenges. How do you balance? Uh, and I don't know if you'd have an answer to that yet, but a, a community like Zionsville and the quaint town and the, 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 you know, what makes it attractive, how do you balance that, that, that growth, but also keeping that, that, um, that brand, if you will, of Zionsville. Well, that's the $10 million question, isn't it? And I think the, the comprehensive plan will inform how we move forward. But let me tell you something about Zionsville that I've really learned in this campaign, that yes, we believe that our brick Main Street is really important. It's historic. It's the beating heart of town. No question about that. But I've also learned that our, our people in Perry Township and Union Township, they care a lot about their rural heritage too. And it's every bit as important to them as the brick Main Street is to the people who live closer to downtown Zionsville. So I think that those voices need to be heard and those voices need to be respected and need to be part of the comprehensive plan that we do going forward. We need to bring those things together. At the same time, Zionsville has 67 square miles. And not many people know this, but Zionsville is the third largest municipality in the state behind Indianapolis and Fort Wayne. So we have room. We have room for development to occur uh, and still maintain those historic rural areas and our historic urban area as well. The, the Brick Main Street, you know, is, is a special asset that we have. Everybody else wishes they had it. We need to protect it and we need to enhance it and make sure that it's here for generations to come. And what you mentioned there, you have room to grow, which I didn't realize how much that that's a real asset yeah. because other communities that have developed uh, over the years or more recently in some cases are out of opportunities for growth, and, right. but you've got, got those opportunities. Yeah, we do. And, and, you know, I don't want to call out towns by name, but let's say Carmel, for example, <laughs> you know, Carmel is essentially built out. There's not yeah. a whole lot more room in Carmel for, for more growth to occur. So uh, we're more than open for business for some of that growth to head our way. And, uh, you know, we're going to be more engaged going forward in the economic development process than we have been the past couple of years. 
Uh, I think Zionsville has considered itself to be a, a separate entity. And I don't think that's the way forward. I think we need to be more engaged with with our neighbors, uh, neighboring communities. And you mentioned uh, the the other mayors. I've I've spoken with every other mayor in our area, and uh, you know I I want to make sure that those conversations continue and that we have you know robust communication in the future. Yeah, um, as you look at again that vision uh, for Zionsville. Uh, collaboration uh, among uh, communities, kind of that regionalism aspect is something it sounds like uh, you you buy into certainly, but also uh, quality of place, quality of life issues. You want to bring the community together. And you've talked about things like a recreation center, right? That, yeah. that you feel yeah. can, can really uh, connect the community in a lot of ways. I, I think that is so important for Zionsville, as it is for any community. Um, you know, if you, take your kids and you put them in a car and you take them to a nearby community to go for a day of recreation, you're taking your memories out of Zionsville. And I want people to have their memories here. And I want to have a place where different generations can come together, that everything from, you know, babies, when you throw them in the water when they're six months old to teach them how to swim, to senior citizens have a place to go for enrichment and for uh, aqua therapy, things like that, that, you know, can really bring people together. I think I think that's so important for our town. Um, when I think of a community center, I think of it as a noun, but I also think of it as a verb. And I think living in community, you know, helps mental health, it helps uh, quality of life, and it makes it better for, for everyone in town when we can all come together in one place. What's going to be key in your view to uh, successfully uh you know, following through on some of these things in any community or many communities, you know, change, whether it's viewed as good, bad, or indifferent, there's resistance to change. And I've got to believe, you know, there'll be some resistance to what you're talking about there in, in, in a community like Zionsville. What's key to to selling your plan, if you will, uh, uh, going forward? Change is hard. It is hard. And, and I think Zionsville is not unique in that. I think every municipality has has a core group of people that don't want to see a lot of change. But I think, you know, we, we have to think about what the next generation is going to inherit from us. And I see the job of being mayor as two jobs, two separate and distinct jobs. The first one is to making sure that city services are provided, that we, you know, pick up the trash, plow the streets. Public safety is very important as far as that, providing those services. But the other job is casting a vision for what the next 15 or 20 years is going to be like. I'd love my kids to live here. I'd love my grandchildren to live here. Uh, so we need to give them the reason to come back. And, and we need to give them things that are going to be a community amenities that are going to be attractive to them and their generation to come here. And I, I think Zionsville will only prosper if we can do that. I don't want to overstate this, but as you look at at the future, you look at that future vision uh, for Zionsville and you look at what's happening uh, uh, around Zionsville, again, we mentioned that Leap District, the the right. uh, proximity to I-65 and Purdue and downtown Indianapolis and 16 Tech and all these assets that are that are talked about in this new economy. It would seem like Zionsville is one of those communities that's positioned to really benefit from that to be be transformational. Is that is that overstating it this 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 point in time and where things might go in Zionsville? I think you're understating a little bit. So you're talking about the I-65 corridor, which obviously is going to be extremely important. But let's go a little bit further east and think about the executive airport. That is along Route 32 and Michigan Road. So you have the executive airport to the east. 
you have the Leap District to the west, and you have Zionsville in the middle. So what that tells me is that there are tremendous opportunities for light industrial, for biotech, for maybe boutique hotels, maybe conference centers, because I think a lot of the corporate executives that will be involved with the Leap are going to use that airport. And they're going to have to travel through Zionsville to get to their office in, in the Leap District. So uh, I, I think that's one of those areas that we really need to look at. And, and the, the boundaries of Zionsville extend north of Route 32 by several miles. So there is a lot of uh, opportunity there that, uh, that we need to be thinking about for the future. As you look at your new role uh, as mayor, how, how do you view your your background uh, in television and broadcasting, communications, uh, and all the things you've accomplished over the past forty plus years? How do you think that will uh, will uh, impact or play into your new role a- as mayor? Well, you know, let me take a step back. When I was in broadcasting, I always looked at it as you know. I know this sounds kind of funny to say this maybe, but it's never been about me. I've never thought it was about me. It's about, you know, making sure that the information gets to the community in in a way that they need to get it honestly, fairly, accurately, all those things. Um, And and I see this job the same way. This isn't about me. This is about the people that that are going to be my employers. And you mentioned 30,000. That was in the last census. You know, it's it's a few years past the last census now. I think we're closer to 35,000 people here. So, uh, you know, I have a lot of bosses. And when you have 35,000 people, as you know, you have approximately 35,000 different opinions on things. So uh, I think that hopefully good communication can bring people together and, you know, hopefully come around to some positions that are going to be tenable for the majority of them. Much more ahead with John Stair. We'll uh, we'll take a look back and his uh, path to Indianapolis Growing up in Pittsburgh, college, a whole lot more. That's when the Business and Beyond podcast returns. At PNC Bank, we're committed to making a difference in the lives of our customers and communities by helping them move forward financially. As a Main Street bank, we try to do right by our customers with every encounter. Our local teams offer personalized financial advice to help guide you in making the best decision. We're proud to be part of your community. PNC Bank. See how we can make a difference for you at PNC.com. Copyright 2022, the PNC Financial Services Group Bank, all rights reserved. Welcome back to the Business and Beyond podcast presented by PNC. My guest this week, former broadcast journalist John Stair, now mayor-elect John Stair, will be the new mayor in uh, Zionsville uh, coming up uh, in the uh, in the year ahead. And uh, John, as you look at um, your background broadcasting, let's go back yeah. further than that. You grew up in okay. your, your Pittsburgher, right? I'm a Pittsburgher, yes. Well, can you see behind my head here? That is a uh, uh, Iron City beer sign. So, I was going to say, if you're from Pittsburgh, true. you know, our, <laughs> even if you're not from Pittsburgh, you know, Iron City beer. I had a roommate in college from Pittsburgh and every and this was in the 70s. And, you know, the Steelers were in their heyday. So every sure, yeah. every Christmas break, he would come back with cases of Iron City beer with the pictures of the Steelers team, you know, on the on the, yeah, uh, on the cans. But I remember that. Good. Good stuff. My grandfather was a bottler at the Iron City plant. So wow. there you go. Wow. Well, what, <laughs> what was growing up in Pittsburgh like, John? Well, you know, it was a 
it was a transformative time in Pittsburgh back then. You know, we were going from a steel mill economy to a uh, a more high tech economy. I, I was I was wondering it, timing wise because I know yeah. that happened. Of course, if you you were there for that. Yeah. Well, when I was a kid, yeah, growing up, you know, it was still pretty polluted and dirty. You know, you wear a white shirt in the morning and you come home dirty in the afternoon, even if you haven't been rolling around on the ground. Yeah. Um, but but there's been you know a real solid effort there to move things forward. You know, I haven't lived there a long for a long time. Uh, when I went away to college, that was my last time living in Pittsburgh. And um, I've been here for twice as long as I lived in Pittsburgh growing up. And so if you ask me what my hometown is, I'm going to say Zinesville every time, because this is where my kids have grown up. And this yeah. is where, you know, we've choosen, chosen to live our lives. And this is where we're going to stay. Yeah. And uh, I just think this is the greatest town in Indiana. Yeah. What What was, uh, were you, uh, were you into sports? more into academics, both arts. What was your, what was, what kept you busy as a youngster? Well, you know, I, uh, I think you you know this and this is what you're getting to. I was a soccer player when I was young. Yep. Um, you know, Pittsburgh is, is ethnic enough where even back then soccer was a thing, you know, so there were weekend soccer leagues and there were uh, some opportunities there. And I, I played in high school and I was fortunate enough uh, to be named all state. When I was wow! No, I, I didn't know that. Yeah, and I had some some college scholarship opportunities, and uh, I was on a college scholarship at Gannon University in Erie, Pennsylvania, Division Two. Yep. But nonetheless, yeah, uh, it was it was helpful in in getting that start. And you know, Erie was a big enough town that it had several television stations, and I knew that going in, and I thought, well, geez. I'll bet you those small TV stations like to hire cheap college labor. Yeah. Um, and that sort of began my path on the on the career that I had for over 40 years. You know, it's funny you would say that because I ended up um, going to Indiana State. I was there when Larry Bird was there. And Terre Haute has several TV stations. Again, right. the, sa- the same deal, you know, hiring cheap talent. And I, I use that talent word loosely, <laughs> like me. So, so it, it was kind of the, kind of the same thing. And I read where um, kind of your, your entree into, into broadcasting was connected to soccer was, was the coach or someone connected to soccer uh, have something to do with radio or TV out there? Well, you know, th- this might be hard for you to fathom, but we did have a few fans. <laughs> uh, at, at, at Gannon. And yeah. one of our fans was the news director at a local radio station. There you go. And yeah. he was sim- sympathetic to my desires and what I wanted to do with my career. And he said, I'll tell you what, I know you have a lot of time. You have to spend a practice. You have to travel for games. I'm going to cut out a job for you that can work with that schedule. We'll be very flexible with you and you can get your start in broadcasting. So uh, Jerry Trambley was his name. He passed away a few years ago. I've kept in touch with him all these years because uh, I really appreciated what he did for me way back then. And it was back in the day when there were some stations that were, had both TV and radio that were co-owned. And once I had my foot in the door at the radio station for a few months, I was able to kind of sneak my way to through the back door at the TV station. And, uh, and that's how my TV career got started. My first, my first time appearing on the air, I was just turned 19. Uh, and I didn't oh my gosh. that night. Wow. So, yeah. yeah. Did, did, did you I didn't all, do it well, but I did the sports. <laughs> yeah. Well, did you, did you, um, did you always think you, you was broadcasting? When, when did you, when did you realize that that's what you wanted to do? That's what you wanted to do for a career. Well, as a kid, of course, my dream was to be the shortstop for the Pittsburgh pirates. Of course. Yes. Um, obviously I didn't have the skill, uh, for that. So I, I, I realized pretty young that that probably wasn't going to be my path, 
So I, I started watching Walter Cronkite when I was five years old, and I wanted to be Walter Cronkite. And uh, that was very important to me to have the kind of uh, career that he had and to, and to be the kind of person that he was. And that's how I've modeled my career. You know, I, I wanted to be that type of person. I didn't want to be, you know, like an opinion journalist like we have now. I wanted to be the guy that, that played it straight and was even-handed. And um, as you know, as time went on, it became harder to do that. Yeah. Uh, but I think I, I, I'd like to feel like I did a pretty good job of that to the end of my career. Did, did, just, can, just, I tell you, can I tell you a Walter Cronkite story? Yeah, absolutely. time for this? Yes. Okay, so when I was, I'm, I'm a young journalist. I'm working in Erie, Pennsylvania, and this was in 1980. And we had a big day. Ronald Reagan, Walter Mondale, and Ted Kennedy were all coming to town wow. one day to, to campaign for the Pennsylvania primary. And I noticed the, uh, when the press plane came in, there was a lot of uh, – attention paid to the guys getting off the press plane and Walter Cronkite gets off the plane. So I, I, I never did this. I, you know, I, I didn't treat celebrities yeah. or well-known people any differently than everybody else, but this was Walter Cronkite. Yeah. So I walked over to him and I said, Oh, Mr. Cronkite, it's so nice <laughs> to meet you. I really, yeah. uh, and I kind of was fanboy there for a little while. We had a conversation. He asked about the politics of the area and, you know, I gave him some answers and I thought, well, he talks to 100 people a day. He's never going to remember me. So now fast forward, I guess about 12 or 15 years later when I got my job at CBS. So now I'm essentially a colleague of Walter Cronkite. And I saw him in the hall one day. And, and I said, oh, Mr. Cronkite, it's, it's so nice to see you again. I'm sure you don't remember, but you and I met years ago. And he not only remembered our conversation, but he remembered details about the day. He remembered what the weather was like. He remembered the positioning of where the press corps was relative to the campaign planes coming in, um, which is, no. I guess, what made him great at his job. Yeah. But the fact that he remembered me. Yeah. And uh, it was just so I, I called him after that because I, I wanted to go out to lunch with him. I thought, well, this can be great. I get to go to lunch with Walter Cronkite. Yeah. And he wasn't there. And he called me back and left me a voicemail message. And it was, John, this is <laughs> so nice of you to reach out and we can get together. And, and I, I saved that voicemail for, for years just because <laughs> Walter Cronkite left me a voicemail. Um, oh. So that was, a, that was a great opportunity to get to know him. And that, you know, probably more than anybody else I've met over the course yeah. of my lifetime, that, that was the most impactful. That, that's a great story. Uh, real quick, I'd li like your take, um, you know, kind of the state of broadcasting in media mm -hmm. now, because as you mentioned that, you know, the the interjection of kind of opinion journalism, you know, is is pervasive. It just seems like it's everywhere. Your, your, your take uh, on the state of, of journalism now, especially TV broadcast journalism. I think local TV broadcasting is is in some trouble. Uh, I think that. We all get the news all day long. We know what's happened. So nobody has to wait till five o'clock or six o'clock to find out what's happened. So what local TV news should be doing is supplying context to what's going on the rest of the day. As you know, that costs money. And, you know, a lot of local stations don't want to spend that money. So, you know, what we get is, you know, some of the low hanging fruit. We get the accidents. We get the mm -hmm. uh, shootings. We get the things w without any context going along with them. And in, in my life these days, and I think in a lot of people's lives, it just doesn't really have much meaning to it. Um, you know, I don't need, and with all due respect to my, my friends who are meteorologists, I don't need a three and a half minute weather forecast when I can just call it up on my phone and see the radar and see the forecast and, 
You know, it just it just isn't as meaningful as it used to be. Back when it was the only form of communication that people had or the major form of communication that people had, it was great. It was fantastic. It was wonderful to be a part of it. I think yeah. I think it's very hard today to see that business model going forward. And I look at you, Gary, mm-hmm. and what you found is a niche. You know, what you mm-hmm. do is unique. Um, local news, if you have five stations doing the same thing in a market, it's hard to see what that niche is for them. Unless yeah. you really like the people who are on. Yeah. But you yeah. Know, that in the long run, that that's not as meaningful to people's lives, I think, as it used to be. Yeah. Well, you left Erie uh, on your journey ultimately to Indianapolis, but you had a, a number of uh, of stops, local markets, Grand Rapids, Salt Lake, uh, but also at the network level, right? You're at CNBC yeah. for a while, CBS, CBS, yeah. uh, as you mentioned. Give give, give me a kind of a, a synopsis of uh, uh, John your 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 journey to Indianapolis. Well, as you said, uh, Erie, Pennsylvania. I left there and went to Grand Rapids for a few years. Then I came to. Indianapolis initially. I was at Wish TV. Uh, Lee Giles hired me at Wish, and uh, he hired me fresh off of hiring Jane Pauley. So really? I okay. like to joke with him that that one of those hires was really, really a good one. Um, <laughs> and uh, I'll leave leave you to decide which one it was. Um, and then you know there were some changes at Wish. Um, you know, as we've all experienced in our broadcasting careers, that you know didn't really lend itself to me staying there for the long term. So then I moved to Salt Lake City. I was there for almost 10 years. And then when CNBC started, I was one of the original group there to put that on the air. And then after a few years, I was able to go to CBS News, um, where I was a network correspondent. I did the CBS Morning News. Uh, There was a lot of travel involved. And with a young family, that was hard. So Mm -hmm. when the opportunity presented itself here in Indianapolis, I I knew that this was where I needed to be, not just for myself, but for my family. And yeah. it was a, it was great timing in the market. You know, Channel 13 was just kind of on the rise. You know, you could see the signs. We had some good programming. ER was really big for us. We had the NFL football contract, uh, the AFC that had the Colts, you know, so that helped us quite a bit. Uh, and it was just it was a, a good time. I was able to jump onto the rocket ship and you know rise it to the top of the ratings, which you know, thankfully, we were able to to stay there for a yeah. generation or so. Yeah. It, what did, did you? Well, you'd worked in Indianapolis prior, but did you know much? Right. Did you know a lot about Indianapolis? I, I did. I did, and I always kept track of Indianapolis. And you know, back in uh, in the day when I started at Channel Thirteen, we had we were family owned uh, by the Wolf family out of Columbus, and boy, that's such a such a great opportunity to work for a, a family like that. And I got to know the members of the family and. You know, there was a, there was just such a great feeling there at the time. I think you lose some of that uh, when, you know, corporate media takes over. And again, you've carved out such a great niche for yourself. I mean, you are, you're doing your thing. And I know you have some corporate partners, but they're not controlling you and what you do. And, and I think that is such an advantage. And I think the people that are your viewers and that are your listeners, they're the ones that really benefit from that. Yeah. When you mentioned the family ownership uh, and in a sense, uh, when you were at Channel 13, they're kind of a, a golden era of, of local broadcasting, I think, when you look at, at Indianapolis, I think, in a lot of ways, because, uh, you know, Channel 13, I, I ran our show was on Channel 13 for a while when you were there. And, yeah. uh, you know, you spent money, you know, cover stories and to, to try to cover them well. And, uh, you know, I think in getting back to your comment about the bottom line uh, kind of focus now on on local news you just don't see that investment to, to the extent that I think you did back in those days. 
Well, here's what I've heard about local broadcasting, that, that on about 2004 is when the ad revenue in the market hit its peak, and it was close to $200 million that was shared among the various stations. Well, you know, we're less than half of that now. So, you know, their, their budgets have been severely impacted. And, you know, that, that's reflected in what they can invest for the product that they put on the air. So I think it's hard for local broadcasters now. Uh, and, you know, back when we started, Gary, it didn't matter if the news department made a profit. Yep. Um, you know, there were enough profits to be had elsewhere that yeah. you didn't have to focus on that. And you could think about public service. Yep. Uh, I'm sure that a lot of broadcasters have that that public service mentality anymore. Yeah. yeah. Uh, okay. Looking forward, uh, y- y- you'll be assuming the uh, the mayor's chair uh, before too long. What uh, yeah. What are your thoughts? Do you have Do you have ideas in those first those first couple of weeks in office on what you want to accomplish? You know, people always want to talk about that. What's your thirty day plan? What's your sixty day plan? <laughs> right. What's your ninety day plan? I think what we need to do in Zionsville is lower the temperature on the politics and division that we've had in recent years. Uh, and then, you know, we'll go from there. I, you know, as I said before, I have more of a long range view of this and the comprehensive planning process. Everybody agrees we need that. The current council, the current mayor, they're all behind that. There's money in the budget for it next year. And that's not going to be a process that we need to rush. We need to take a year, maybe a year and a half to make sure we do that right make sure that voices are heard because that is going to be the defining document going forward. Right now we have 38 zoning classifications in Zionsville. I think a reasonable goal would be to cut that down to 15, you know, have a little more clarity for everybody. Uh, I think that those, those who want to come in and do business in Zionsville and those who are already here in Zionsville will appreciate having that kind of clarity going forward. Well, John, it's been a real treat to catch up with you. Uh, I can't wait to follow uh, your path as you begin uh, your leadership there in Zionsville. A lot happening in that community and in that area. And uh, I know you'll be doing some great things there. So thanks for joining me. Well, we're going to give it our best shot. And I want to tell you, I've always appreciated you as a competitor. I'd like to call you a friend. Yep. And, uh, you know, I think what you have what you have done is is fantastic. You're providing a service in the community that is very important, uh, that that business focus is very important. And I I wish you all the best, too. And, you know, you have my number and you can reach out at any time and I will always, always reach back. I appreciate that, my friend. And I will indeed be doing that. John Steer, Hall of Fame broadcaster and now mayor elect in Zionsville. I guess this week. Hey, can I say one more? Can I say yeah, one yeah, more thing? Yeah, yeah. Go ahead. I, I appreciate you mentioning the Hall of Fame broadcaster thing, and there will come a day when you are going to be inducted into the Broadcasting Hall of Fame, I, and I, I am going to be one of people there to shake your hand when that happens. Oh, you're I think too that, nice. I think that's that is going that is going to happen. I, I appreciate. I, I very much appreciate that, John Steer, the mayor elect in Zionsville. My guest this week on the Business and Beyond podcast. Presented by PNC, it's a weekly conversation with uh, achievers in business, sports, entertainment, and beyond. And you can download all of our episodes and get Indiana Business News 24-7 at InsideIndianaBusiness.com. I'm Gary Dick. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you next time.